Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of April 14th, 2020, at episode number 433. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. Yeah, we're not we're almost halfway through April. I don't know if it's going fast or going slow, but uh, April is uh, halfway done. It's, uh, Normally, we're worried about taxes right now. Not not taxes, taxes, death and taxes. Um, but I think we're worried more about death right now than taxes at this point. Uh, what a crazy year. We never thought this going in. I, I wish I could go back and uh, listen to uh, a lot of shows do like um, – guessing what's going to happen for the year coming up and everything like that but uh, i don't usually do that i sometimes i do make predictions but i don't think i didn't really do that this year only with the paranormal stuff i think but uh i don't think anybody saw this coming at all and uh, a lot of details a lot of things that uh, i thought i saw coming when all this was headed our way a lot of people told me i was wrong well now a lot of the stuff I was saying is right. Unfortunately, I was hoping I would be wrong. But here we are in the midst of a global pandemic. And uh, we talked last week about UFO sightings on the rise. We're going to talk about that again tonight. Uh, UFO sightings are continuing to rise, I, I guess. I don't know. Uh, people got a lot of time on their hands. And everyone's wondering, well, why, why is this happening? Are, are people paying attention to more of what's going on in the sky? I don't think so, but uh, we'll we'll tackle that here in a little bit on the show. We'll also talk uh, Loch Ness Monster violated the lockdown. Find out what happened there. What a uh, what a messy sight that was. Uh, Bigfoot is uh, back in business again. He's up in uh, up in Canada. He's on vacation. He's getting ready for summertime, going up to Canada. Uh, we'll talk about some UFO sightings in the Midwest, United Kingdom. And again, we'll tackle our UFO reports on the rise. We'll talk about that tonight and a lot more. And we'll lead it off like always, talking about conferences, conventions. Why did you roll your eyes? We, we always talk about conferences and conventions. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on with that and uh, – I feel it's necessary to kind of talk about it a little bit and talk about all the stuff that's changing with this day-to-day. It's a mess. It's a debacle. And as if, if you've been listening to the show for any point in time uh, over the course of the last uh, – geez, how long have I been doing it? 11 years, I think, I've been doing this? 10 years? 11 years? I, I lost count somewhere around 2012, 13-ish. I don't know what's going on. Uh but uh, throughout the years, I've put together an events listing each and every year uh, for paranormal conferences, conventions. Uh, try to steer clear from some of the wacky, zany, fringy type stuff that goes on. But uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Uh, because I, I think it's a, it's a big part of the paranormal community. It's part of our culture. It's uh, what we 
do. It's it's a part of getting connected. You know, I don't have to talk about TV shows or movies or anything like that. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows all the TV shows and probably watches more than I do. I don't really watch too much on paranormal television. Although we were just talking in the chat room about Supernatural, which is uh, winding up its 15-year television career. And I didn't actually start watching that till last year. I think early last year. And uh, actually, no, I think the year before, late the year before. But uh, all caught up to season 14. It's actually a hilarious show. It's so outlandish. I can appreciate it. It's not trying to be anything but crazy and silly. But anyway, uh, I've also talked here on the show about books. I used to do the book of the week. Uh, It was a lot of extra work. I kind of went away from that. I'd like to get back to that eventually. But um, but the one thing that's stuck over the years is these conferences and conventions. And uh, I do think it's a, a very important piece of our culture of uh, sharing information, ideas. And yeah, it's the same bandstand of people, the same 15, 20 people going on tour. But still, it's it's a great way for people to learn about their favorite field or all fields or maybe you didn't know anything about the ghost field and you show up to a cryptid event and you hear a speaker on ghosts or, or vice versa you hear something on cryptozoology and it hooks you and i've heard a lot of people have gone to these things and walked away with a different perspective of these fields so i think that it's very important and obviously with everything that's going on around the world right now these uh conferences and conventions here have, have taken a massive hit and there's a lot of craziness going on. And, and, you know, I've mentioned before, I put on my own event a couple of years ago, and I tell you, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of risk as well. And some of these people uh, probably losing a lot of money over these things. And some people are, are sticking to their guns saying, no, no refunds. Uh, so I'm trying to do the, the best I can to communicate this information. Obviously, pretty much anything in April is canceled. Uh, I don't think anyone's really thinking that they're going to put on a paranormal conference of any size in the month of April. There might be a few that that are kind of pushing it to the last second, uh, smaller ones, but in reality I, I think it's pretty much it's pretty much a done deal at this point that April is a, is a washout as far as conferences conventions are concerned. Uh but talking a few more just popped up in the last couple of days, uh, some that are canceled, some that are postponed with no date announced. Um, some are postponed with the makeup date, so they're rescheduled to later on in the year. Some are headed towards fall. Uh, some are headed towards late fall now. I think even July and August is a gamble at this point. I know that sounds crazy, uh, but I, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a gamble still to uh, host large events. I think we're still going to have problems with that in July and August. I think for the most part, things will go back to a, I don't want to say normal, because I think normal is gone. I don't think we're ever going to have what we used to have. Eventually we will. We'll look around and go, hey, this is how it used to be. Uh, But I think there's a new normal coming over the course of the next year or so, uh, because this this, uh, COVID-19 is going to rear its ugly head again next year, whether we we believe that or not. Uh, So until we can develop a vaccine to keep it away it's this is going to be a problem we we can't uh, take any chances so I, I think a lot of these conferences conventions i think you're going to see a lot more cancellations f- further out than what you're seeing right now 
Um, like I said, my calendar is a complete mess, but I try to do the best I could. At uh, paranewsinsider.com, you click on the events tab at the top, and you can see uh, I try to do my best at juggling everything and, and putting everything uh, in perspective so you can see what's happening with all these conventions. And, and luckily, I only do North American conferences. It's pretty much United States and Canada. I don't really really seen any in Mexico, to be honest, over the last few years. Um, but I have mentioned some of the changes the last two or three weeks. It's become like a full-time segment here. Um, but a few updates I have this week. The Haunted Heights Paracon in uh, Houghton Lake Heights, Michigan, set for May 8th and 9th. They've uh, made a little bit of an announcement that a few of their speakers are now uh, have canceled. So they're contemplating either having a small gathering or canceling the event altogether. But at this point, it's still on. And I can tell you, I spoke there a few years ago, and it's generally a pretty small event to begin with. Not a whole lot of people. And it's a small venue. Uh, but I would, uh, I would be more surprised at this point to see the event go on than be canceled, especially uh, Michigan having a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff going on there. It's no different than here in Ohio where I reside. Uh, the Afterlife Awareness Conference in Chicago, Illinois for June 4th through the 7th has been canceled. Yes, June events. Uh, we had a July event a couple of weeks ago cancel as well. The Portland, Maine Paracon 2 in Portland, Maine on June 6th has been postponed with a date toward the fall. Uh, I've not yet seen a date revealed for that. Uh, UFO Events has the uh, McMenamins UFO Festival in McMinnville, Oregon. Uh, that's been rescheduled from May 14th through the 16th until September 17th and through the uh, 19th of this year. The Mysteries of the Universe Conference 2020 set for May 15th and 16th in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, this event has been postponed. And there's no makeup date announced as of yet. Uh, I've seen a lot of other events uh, taking place in May and June that are pretty much thinking they're going to go on as planned. Uh, I, I really, I mean, again, I know it's a lot of money. It's a lot. It takes a lot to put these things on. A lot of timing and a lot of things have to come together. And, and people don't want to pull the plug on these things. But I, I think if you're going to. You have any kind of reservations at all about putting these things on or if things are going to get back to normal by May, which I'm going to tell you it's it's not at this point. We're halfway through April and, and things are still bad. Uh, numbers are rising. People aren't getting tested. People are dying. Cases are still evolving. It's um, not to mention we just had Easter. I hope you enjoyed your Easter over the weekend and I hope you didn't gather around for too many people. But I think we're going to see a little bit of kickback with that in a couple of weeks uh, for a lot of large gatherings that took place over the weekend. Um, so, yeah, if you're planning on going to any conference or convention, make sure you know the cancellation policy. Communicate with those holding these events so you make sure you don't lose your money. And don't put down money for these events if you think there's a possibility of them getting canceled either way. I wouldn't take a chance at this point. Um, maybe ones that are in September, October, maybe I'd feel a little bit more comfortable with, uh, especially maybe smaller ones in states or areas where, 
uh, it's it's maybe more fairly likely that things could get a little bit more back to normal. But honestly, I wouldn't take any chances at this point. And it's not for me to say usually to tell you not to go to these events, but I think it's, um, especially when it's dealing with your money, I would highly caution uh, people for doing that. And um, it's really wreaking havoc on these events. And I think a lot of people think that they're still going to go on. And uh, our first batch of ones that were pushed back in March, a lot of these are looking like they're going to get canceled for the second time. Some of these are in June and July. I think there's a chance they could get bumped again. Uh, so again, find out what the cancellation policy is before you put money down and follow these things. Some of these have been really, really hard to get any information about cancellations or reschedules or anything. And that's another reason why I'm talking about it every, each and every week. Uh, because some of these, I really had to do a lot of work to find out the answers uh, for these so I could update my my schedule. So I, I can't imagine some people trying to figure this out on their own, uh, where I navigate these things a lot, uh, these conferences quite a bit. Um, so like I said, a lot of these events, they're uh, about a month out here in May. A lot of usually uh, mid, late May, there's a lot of events. And again, some of these got rescheduled for June uh, I think there's going to be a lot of big things changing with those soon. And uh, yeah, if, you, if you're thinking May and nothing's going to happen, I think that's dangerous thinking. And uh, great, great point there in the chat room. Why don't they do virtual conferences? Uh, so in my job, I train people. People come from various areas to where I work and I trained them. Now, when this whole thing uh, hit the fan in March, uh, we were not allowed to allow people to travel to our location. And we started shifting toward doing Zoom calls, which are video teleconferencing calls. Uh, however, with uh, with our business, you know, taking a turn, uh, it uh, quickly got everything got canceled with that and we're going to start doing that and a lot of people are working from home also doing zoom calls or skype calls and uh, i've been to some events where some of the uh, participants or the uh, speakers were actually from you know live via skype I, I don't know it's it's probably a lot of effort to put one of those things on but uh, i'm not sure why they're not doing virtual conferences or or just doing you know, people hosting, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one or somebody just doing a public thing where people can donate for. I know a lot of musicians are doing live concerts on Facebook for free. Um, not saying that all these speakers need to do that stuff for free too, but um, what are you going to do in these times? Uh, you know, we have radio shows as well, uh, all except for this one that have guests. This is the only show I think that doesn't have a guest anywhere in the world. I feel lonely. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of these paranormal people, these uh, paracelebs, parapeeps, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're out there. So, um, I don't know, but a, a virtual conference is, I think it's a great idea. And, and I know a lot of people have tried similar things to some sort of an extent, but uh, not sure if that would work for an entire conference. It's hard enough when you're trying to get everybody's, um, you know, uh, PowerPoint uh, queued up in the in the computer for for everything, let alone having to get navigate people 
dropping off of calls and having to make sure they're they're on there. I, it'd be a, a pretty big headache, I think. But it's it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. I think it, I think somebody could pull it off if they had to. Anyway, back to the news. Like let's get into some news. What do you say? It's uh, it's already a quarter after here of the show and. We haven't even touched the news yet, but again, yeah, this this conference thing, it's it's got me really, I don't know, just kind of upset. I, it, part of it, I didn't really want to talk about them, but at the same time, you know, I made the investment of putting them on the site at paranewsinsider.com, and I feel like I got to follow up on them, so uh, hopefully you're not annoyed by that or feeling like I'm, I'm wasting time by talking about it, but it's I think it is important that we talk, do talk about it, and it could be one of the biggest stories of the year. All these conferences and conventions being pushed back, canceled, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, what effect is it really having on a lot of the people that – there's a lot of people that make a living at doing these events. And, uh, you know, I'm sure some of them are, are starting to feel the bite a little bit because this is how they make their money. Uh, anyway, let's jump into some cryptid news and uh, get your boots on because we're going to go into – Loch Ness. Uh, I don't know what Boots and Loch Ness have in common, but uh, I thought that was a segue that would make sense, but it absolutely makes zero sense. Anyway, it looks like somebody has come out of their lockdown and that somebody is Scotland's own Loch Ness monster. And uh, it's been spotted for the second time this year. I know it's already April. And yet we only have the second report of the Loch Ness Monster. They've fallen behind a little bit. And it comes from Irish hospital clerk Ian O'Fadigan. And if that name sounds familiar, well, you heard it uh, a few times last year. And you've already heard it once this year prior to uh, the first time you just heard it uh, 10 seconds ago. Uh, so Ian, O'Fad- Ian O'Fadigan caught a glimpse of the purported lake monster. On the Loch Ness Live Cam, which is stationed near Urquhart Bay with that famous castle. Uh, seems like that's a lot of where a lot of the sightings are. Granted, that's all where a lot of people are always watching Loch Ness, even though it's a really long, thin lake. Uh, seems like it's, it's always right there. I don't get it. But uh, yes, this is just the second official sighting of the Loch Ness Monster in 2020. And yes, it's also... Ian's second sighting of the year as well, with the first one happening back in January. You guys remember January? That seems like five years ago at this point. She's. Uh, remember, I took a couple of weeks off. I was in Arizona playing baseball. It was a great time. You know, a little kind of, little worried about what was happening over in China, but I'm like, eh, it'll blow over. That was only a couple of months ago. Anyway, uh, so in 2019, uh, Ian had four separate sightings, and the year ended with 18 confirmed sightings, which was a record. I believe that was the highest amount of sightings since 1983. Although uh, two of these sightings were from, uh, how would you say it? Uh, I guess kind of a, a make-a-wish style event for two separate children. Who wanted to see the Loch Ness Monster. So it's kind of staged. Don't tell them I said that though. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for them. So those are actually official sightings. In, in the record book. 
Uh, the second sighting of the year shows a small white shape. Seems to come out of the water and float on the surface for just a few seconds. Uh, that's kind of the interpretation of it. Uh, the sighting was recorded off of the webcam on Monday morning. That was uh, April 13th at 8.11 a.m. local time. And of the sighting, Ian O'Fadigan said, quote, It was three to four feet out of the water at its highest, but mainly low to the water for most of it. Putting up a wash of white water as it moved to see it at range. Uh, it would have been at least 10 feet long. As you can see from the video, there are no boats present before the object appeared out through the surface water. Loch Ness at the moment is like a ghost lake. There is no activity of any sort out on the lake these days due to the present circumstances. It's exhilarating to get another setting, especially when it's the second one on record this year, back to back, unquote. Um, yeah, so three to four feet out of the wall. I don't know how he measured that through the cam. Um, okay. Uh, if you've not seen this, I know it's a fairly new story, so it's um, really just more or less broke today. So you might not have had a chance to see this. Um, I do have a picture I'll share in the chat room. So if you're not in the chat room, well, you're missing out. You're going to have to wait. Uh, well, you have to wait till tomorrow. Uh, so there's a large picture. You can click on the picture in the chat room and it'll blow it up to see that giant, giant creature coming out of the water there. And of course, the dreaded red circle. So anytime you ever see an image with a red circle, uh, I, I cast a, a very heavy, heavy amount of doubt uh, with what's in those little white circles. And in, in all honesty, it doesn't look like much to me. Uh, I'm thinking it might actually be condensation of some sort or of a reflection on the lens of the camera. So again, early morning, it's cold out there. Uh, so this might be condensation due or, or something on, on the lens of the camera. It might even be condensation uh, or a close object near the lens, such as a, a bug. I hate to say that, but uh, or a bead of water, something on the, on the spider web close to the camera. Um, I think I think that's what we're looking at. I don't think it's a creature out in the distance. And one of the most frustrating things about using cameras like this, especially webcams, is you have no idea what's going on around them. And even if you're standing along Loch Ness, uh, this is a hard area to see anything. Uh, it's hard to see exactly what's happening along the lake, but if you're looking through these pixelated camera footage, it's, uh, it's also taking quite a distance from the shore. I mean, it's literally 100 times worse than standing a mile away. Um, but even if you're along... Uh, Loch Ness on one of the roads, and you're looking down. It's you're still really far away from the water, and it's really hard to see any detail unless you have v pretty good binoculars. And not too many people have really good zoom cameras. And um, yeah, it's it's ugh, it's really frustrating that uh, people are just sitting there on the camera. And it would be another thing too if if we got this recorded on the camera and somebody were actually down there and actually saw this because I, I don't think what we're seeing through the camera actually happened in reality on the lake. I don't think there was a giant white thing 
floating on the surface of the lake, but we'll never know. And you don't see any waves coming off of this thing or uh, anything like that. So I, I don't know. It's just, uh, but you can't argue it because there's no way to prove it. And really there's, I mean, there's ways to disprove it, but uh, you can't ever prove it happened. So it's, it's to the observer. Um, either way, it doesn't matter. It's now an official sighting. According to the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, which is kept by Gary Campbell, and you could read about all the, uh, the sightings of Loch Ness over the last, uh, I don't know how many years, since the 70s or 60s. And well, actually, it goes all the way back to A.D., or I should say B.C. I mean, not that Gary Campbell's that old. I'm just saying some of the records were um, kept from uh, long ago. So LochNessSightings.com, the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register. And I'll get that link thrown in the chat room. Uh, here in a second. So, that you know, that's something that you're missing out. If you're not listening live in the chat room, and if you are listening live in the chat room, I highly appreciate you. And if you're not listening in the chat room, well, I, I still appreciate you. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're missing out on some pictures and links and different things that I'm sharing. But I will share them throughout the week through social media. So Facebook, Twitter, and that's about it. That's all you're getting. Um if I have time to write a blog, which is pretty rare, um, then I'll try to write a blog. But um, you're consistently going to see all these links throughout the week, pretty much in the order in which I talk about them, uh, starting on Wednesday. Because uh, tonight the show uh, will pop up in there uh, after it's posted, uh, pops up through Podbean. So it goes through Facebook and Twitter, so you get the link to that. The archive of the show, so if you don't get to listen to the live radio show, you get the, the recorded version. And that's the one without the swear words. Just kidding, we don't swear on the show. It's, it's not, this is a family-friendly show. Um, anyway, was that the only question? I think it was. It's a lot of, a lot of activity in the chat room tonight. I, I, it's probably because Dita's back. We've missed Dita. It's good to have her back in the, uh, the chat room. Uh, let's see, what other cryptid news? I'm sure there's some more. Oh, well, yes, there is. Let's go to Canada. I think it's snowing up there. It's cold. Uh, well, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the western part of Canada, also known as British Columbia. And we have a little place there that we like to talk about here on the show called Lake Okanagan. Sounds like a nice place to to take your little tent and, and maybe your, your pull behind and, and spend a, a weekend at the lake. Oh, Lake Okanagan. Well, that is, unless you like large creatures like the Loch Ness Monster chewing on your kayak. Yes, Lake Okanagan is purportedly home to the creature known as Ogopogo. Sounds like an activity you do on a sun, sun, uh, sunny summer afternoon. Easy for me to say. Uh, the British Columbia area surrounding Lake Okanagan is thick with forests, park, uh, park-like settings, lots of trees. Oh, and there's another legendary cryptid creature. Forgot all about him. Uh, some call him Sasquatch. But uh, strange, in, in this particular story from the VernonMorningStar.com, they refer to him strictly as Bigfoot. Bigfoot, but uh, yeah, I thought in them their parts was Sasquatch. 
But uh, Bigfoot, I guess, is the universal name for this guy. So, or girl. I don't know what he is. He's got a lot of fur. Uh, so a woman from Vernon, which rests at the northern end of the lake, uh, has reported a large print in a nearby park. And uh, this is scary. So uh, if you've not seen this, uh, we'll get ready for this. I'll throw the picture in the chat room of this giant, giant uh, foot found in the in the ground here uh a print spooky stuff here so um so you asked him from vernon which is at the northern end of lake okanagan uh, reported a large print in a nearby park uh, the woman who discovered the track sarah mcran uh discovered it sunday april 12th and she said quote this is not an animal print and i would say a man print either Unquote man print. What a man print is. Hmm. So there is the picture. And you know it's it's really, really hard. And I'm sure um, what they're seeing is different than what we're seeing. Because it's really, really hard to take a really good photograph of a track. And I, I trust me, I've tried a lot of things. Um, yeah, I agree with you on that one in the chat room. Um the um, the key is is to use a light and take it at an angle. So the best time to, to look for tracks is early in the morning as the sun's coming up. So the sun is low in the morning or in the evening when the sun is, is setting. So it's low as well. But it's easier in the morning because you can still look for stuff even when the sun is higher. But the tracks jump out more at you. And the same with taking a picture. Now, you do like to take a picture straight down because it gives you better dimensions. Um, but also, uh, one of the things, even in bright daylight, which is usually not the case when you're in the woods. Usually, there's a lot of shade. Uh, you take a high-powered flashlight. You put it down there at, a, at an angle. It gives you a better uh, sense of the of the size. Now, one big problem with this picture is there's no scale. Absolutely zero scale. There's a stick there. There's a rock embedded in the mud, which looks to me like somebody stepped on it. Everything there looks like it has been impacted at one period or another. So this is telling me more than likely that's from a trail, an existing trail, which is a cue. It's a hint as to what this uh, track probably more than likely is. Um, everything's mushed down. That track looks a little old. And another key with taking pictures of tracks is uh, if you're going to take a close one like that, try to take a far one, farther away, uh, even one that's showing the trail, showing the area. Um, and again, scale is important. And if you have multiple tracks, scale showing the distance between the tracks, heel to toe, uh, so you can see how how far away they are. And if you can get you know a picture showing how wide they are, that's even better, but... Uh, yeah, so not a, not a great track picture here. Uh, so wildlife officials uh, were called by Sarah McRan, and they have examined the print and seem rather suspicious. Pete Wise, what a great name, Pete Wise, of Wise Wildlife Control Services said that the prints generally show up in pairs or more over an area, and having just one is difficult at times to describe what made it which is absolutely true. Uh, and usually you're going to get more than one 
print uh, unless there's you know a low area of water and that ground just happens to be wet and and that's the only spot where the the uh, animal or creature or person or whomever whatever left an indentation in the ground and if the rest of the ground is dry and it doesn't leave any uh, uh print behind then yeah you're only going to get the one and as you move throughout a forest um it, it's it amazes me when people talk about well bigfoot is interdimensional because we followed these tracks and all of a sudden they disappeared well of course tracks always disappear i've i've tracked deer uh, for miles and all of a sudden their tracks uh, disappear as well because you think of the woods as uh, like a city and as you go from city to city the landscape changes and as you go from one type of forest or, or woods to another you have some that are more swampy some more that are dry some more that have sandy soil and so on and so forth so you can't expect tracks to be consistent as you move from one place to the next not to mention uh, rain doesn't fall over a, a large area all the time you got drainage uh, you've got uh, areas where the sun hits more than others so of course tracks aren't going to be consistent everywhere but one track in one spot and no other tracks it's fishy um, conservation officer tanner beck he said quote hard to tell but it doesn't look like wildlife unquote uh oh well that's not what sarah mccrane said he seems to feel that this could be an old shoe print Ooh, plot thickens. Um, McCran seems convinced this is from a Bigfoot. And uh, you may wonder, well, why is she so convinced? Well, I think she spells it out in this comment where she says, quote, I have actually seen a Bigfoot before in 2018. And last summer, I had a bunch of UFOs follow me back from the border. And I have plenty of those photos as well as they were all the way to Kelowna, unquote. So Kelowna is, uh, it's about an hour and 40 minute drive to the Canada U S border, um, back roads, not like a super highway or anything like that. But, uh, to me, yeah, the print doesn't look like it was made with a bare foot. And I mean, a bare human foot or a, I guess a bare foot either a wild bear, a bare foot, bare naked foot or a bare barefoot. I don't know. Uh, it mostly resembles one of those uh, minimalist running shoes. You've ever seen those? It's got the little toes. They have their own covering in the shoes that look spooky. It's like your your foot imprint. I never liked those for a lot of reasons. They're kind of spooky looking, first off. Second off, uh, they do leave footprints that look exactly like that. I've seen quite a few uh, in my hiking adventures, and I, I try to take as many pictures as I can of these uh, just to document them in case they do pop up like like events like this. And it was one of the first things I did was I went into my little file and I looked at some of these pictures. And yeah, it looks pretty similar to these uh, types of the, the minimalist running shoes with the little, your little toes. Uh, it's supposed to be um, better than running shoes. I, I'm not sure I agree in running in the woods with no shoes on or even these minimalist shoes. Uh, but I guess to each his own. Uh, but again, as the track is very worn down. It might have been there for quite some time prior to the photograph. So try to make some story and some learning there. 
that was exciting. Uh, somebody put that link in the chat room once again. Hopefully I don't knock anybody over as I throw this in there. And here we go. There we go. And see, that is it for cryptid news. We're going to slide into UFO news. And uh, before I, I mentioned, uh, this is a family show. And uh, there is some interesting UFO videos that popped up uh, uh, last couple of days or so. And they're um, pretty much filled to the brim with profanity. It's really weird. I don't know why some UFO videos are, are profanity-filled, but uh, these two videos showed up uh, one after the other. Uh, one was recorded on the evening of April 3rd in Detroit, Michigan, and the other was filmed the following night, April 4th, in Cleveland, Ohio. And I always, I always hear about this stuff a few days too late. You know, nobody ever calls me or emails me and say, hey, go outside and look outside. I never get to see this stuff. I uh, would have been able to see that from my vantage point. Actually, would have had a pretty good view because I can see the uh, where, I, where I'm at about 20-some-odd eh, miles away from Cleveland. I can see what well, I could see until they started building more houses, The kind of the overview of the city. Uh, there's a few vantage points I can get to within about 20 minutes that I can see that uh, if I need to. Uh, both videos showcased bright lights in the sky that seemed to move as well as flash in the sky as they are filmed. And again, both are profanity-laden. And uh, both also had these bright lights slowly dissipate and eventually fade out within minutes of being spotted. And also strangely, it was kind of strange to me, it hit me as I was kind of reading about these and watching the videos is, they're both shot in urban environments. So downtown areas where it's a very bright, uh, you don't have a, a good look at the sky as you would in the suburbs or in a rural area. And these are the only videos that showed up about these two events, two separate events on two separate days in two major metropolitan areas. And, and you know, Cleveland isn't huge per se, but... Um, you know, I'm pretty much in the suburbs of Cleveland, about 25, 30 miles away. So lots of people live in the Cleveland metro area. So I'm, I'm surprised no one else reported this. And we have one of the oldest UFO reporting uh, groups here in Ohio, the Cleveland Ufology Project, right downtown. Nobody saw that. Nobody heard about it until it came out. Really kind of strange to me that uh, all this stuff took place and nobody else really got a video all these people walking around with their phones in their hands and nobody else shot a video weird so many comments on the videos uh on youtube of course uh state that these are just chinese lanterns floating through the sky because chinese lanterns are everywhere right you see them every single day not really uh, i've seen a few on the last couple of years, uh, last year I was walking in a park and I saw one fly over and I had to quickly get a, a couple of pictures of it and try to make it look like a UFO just, just because. And then just to document it because I'm sure somebody else might see it and report it as a UFO. Now, while they do seem to have the appearance of sky or Chinese lanterns, they also seem to be too clustered and too high of an altitude to be lanterns. So anybody who's ever done Chinese lanterns, 
Uh, you light them, you launch them. You light them, you launch them. There's usually a distance between them. Uh, even if you light a whole bunch at the same time and you release them, they do spread out fairly quickly. They don't ever get that high up in the sky. They usually, you know, are a few hundred feet at most. And, and again, they, they kind of, usually in a trail. You usually don't see a whole pack of them going out together. And if they're going to go out, uh, the odds of them all going out within a couple minutes of each other pretty slim. And what are the odds that two large packs of Chinese lanterns were uh, released over two major metropolitan cities and filmed by individuals two consecutive nights? It's just very slim, very weird. Uh, again, I think it's they're too high, too clustered. So what could the explanation be? Well, one website, uh, Cleveland Scene, which also does Scene Magazine, which is uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Lots of music in the, in the bars and club scenes here in the Cleveland metro area. Uh, states that these sightings are part of SpaceX, which provides broadband internet service. Well, that's part, part correct. Uh, SpaceX is the company that owns Starlink. Uh, the constellation, uh, the satellite constellation that's been launching uh, about 60 satellites at a time into the sky to eventually form a constellation of about 12,000 satellites with possibly possibly up to 42,000 individual satellites. I'm going to fall over thinking about that. That's a lot of satellites. It's a lot of junk floating around in space and near Earth as well. So far, there are 362 Starlink satellites in low Earth orbit. Uh, with an April 16th launch planned of, uh, again, 60 more satellites being put up there. And guarantee you, if that launch does take place, now I know uh, SpaceX has had some uh, coronavirus issues and they're trying to, uh, agencies are trying to get this shut down at this point or delayed. Uh, but if they do go on as planned, I guarantee you, wherever these are going to end up, uh, being seen from the ground, there's going to be a number of UFO reports. This happens every time. We've really only been dealing with it for about a year and a half, but it happens every single time. So as you've heard on the show since the middle of last year, these Starlink satellites, they've caused a number of UFO sightings all over the world, not just here in the United States, but even uh, Australia. We've seen them up in uh, what, Norway and Sweden and you know, different parts of Europe. So it's a worldwide problem. And if it was the same place over and over, I think people would get used to it. But it's not. Uh, so these two UFO videos do not show the typical launch sightings that we see with the Starlink satellites. So generally you'll see like a long line of lights, like a string of pearls flying in the sky, uh, which are generally associated with the Starlink deployment. So the, it, the little satellite goes up and the little top part goes and it just poops out these satellites. And you see a string of 60 satellites flying through the sky in succession. And uh, it's usually done late at night, early in the morning. So, of course, it's hitting the sun at an angle and it creates these uh, kind of flashes, these glimmers. Um yeah, so if these videos coincide with Starlink, it's not because of a launch. There was not a launch around that time, uh, but it's because of satellite flare, 
or glint. I'm not a big fan of the word glint. Glint just looks weird. Uh, these are reflections of satellites of the sun after the sun has set. So as an observer, you know, 10 o'clock to about midnight or so, it's, it's dark out. You don't see any sunlight. But these satellites are so high up in the sky that they're still able to see if you were inside of one. And you could also see the curve of the earth if you were inside of one. Uh, but you'd see the sun. But the earth down below is dark. There's nothing really to reflect the sun down to the surface of the planet. So it looks dark when we look up. There's no you know, sunlight being reflected down to us. But if these satellites pick up that sunlight and just the right angle to hit us, uh, you can, well, not hit us physically, but hit us with the light, we can see that satellite flare. And again, it only happens till about, till the sun goes around. Yes, the Earth is, uh, well, not perfectly round, but you get it. Um, when, once the sun is gone and they can't really reflect, you don't see that until the early morning when the sun's coming around again. Then you'll start to get these satellite flares again. Uh, so the low-orbit satellites reflect the sunlight back down to Earth, and they will appear like a bright star, sometimes brighter than most of the stars in the sky. At times, depends on the size of the satellite. Now, if the videos are legitimate, so if, if all the information is legit, uh, meaning the dates, the locations, the times, uh, actually, we don't even know the times at which these happen, as far as I know. I just know they're in the evening of these particular days. Uh, I can trace that to uh, the website Heavens Above, and I had to look through each batch of, uh, of the Starlink satellites to kind of see which ones would have been visible. Uh, I don't know the direction in which these videos were shot, so it kind of makes it a, another question mark out there. But if if all was perfect, then yes, that could have been the Starlink satellites passing over these particular areas of interest. But again, we don't have confirmation of the time, the location of either one of these videos, uh, nor do we, do we have a consistent direction to confirm that these were satellite flares. But of all the hypotheses floating around, this is probably the most logical one. Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't skydivers. It wasn't uh, could have been Chinese flare or Chinese uh, lanterns, but highly doubtful. Uh, they seem to be very high up in the sky. A lot, some people were saying constellations. Mm, I, I don't think so. Uh, anyway, let me throw that link there in the chat room. I got a few links here. Uh, uh, I'll throw this one in there. Gently. Gently. And don't forget, during the week, uh, I will be putting out these links day to day. Hopefully, uh, I have time tonight to do it. And I'll get them all in there for you guys for the week. Going through the weekend. So you got stuff to read. And there you go. Whoop. You all right, Paul? All right, so UFO News will continue with uh, another story, and this one is coming to you from the files of I'm Amazed at What Makes UFO News in 2020. That's an official file I have. Uh, it's growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. Um, also includes the previous story. But uh, this story, uh, there are numerous headlines from the United Kingdom. Uh, I probably wouldn't have talked about this, but I, I just set, kept seeing more and more and more and more 
about this individual sighting, and, and I had no choice but to cover this. I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. Um, but uh, there's a video of an object reported as a UFO falling to Earth. I wasn't sure if, uh, if I was actually seeing what they wanted me to see because, I mean, I'll be honest, usually I, I do this dramatic buildup and then give you my opinion, but all I really saw was the contrail of a jet flying away from the observer. I, I thought there was something else. I kept looking. I, I didn't see anything else. So I guess that's what they thought was the UFO falling. The video was taken near Trowbridge in England on April 9th. And again, many people believe the object is falling to the ground. Uh, a lot of people said it was not an airplane. And they claimed that uh, there was black smoke that was coming from it as it continued to free fall to the earth. And that it was traveling too slow to be a plane. Now, one person speculated it was a piece of debris from the International Space Station that was said to be docking. I mean, because that happens all the time, right? The International Space Station docks, you know, the guy doesn't, uh, doesn't use his mirrors and he backs up and, you know, he takes a piece of the bumper off and it falls to Earth and, and we see, you know, black smoke coming off the bumper that's falling. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't happen. They, they don't have bumpers on those things, do they? I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, it was probably one of the craziest potential explanations of seeing something in the sky that I've ever heard. Anyway. Uh, Haley Stevens, who's known in the uh, United Kingdom, uh, she's a ghost hunter turned skeptic, really turned voice of reason. Uh, she was asked about the, the incident, and she quickly pointed out that uh, this was, in fact, despite arguments to the contrary, the contrail of a jet moving away from the observer. Uh, so it looks like it's moving down, but in, in reality, it's up in the sky, it's above you. It's moving away, so it has the appearance. It's kind of like forced perspective. Um, so it looks like it's moving down, but it's not moving down. It's moving away from you uh, because it's up high. Uh, and the, uh, that would also make it appear as though it's moving slower than what it really is because it's moving away from you at a, at a very high, high altitude. It's just the, the angle that you're at. And... Uh, the other part is the black smoke. So this, the black smoke is caused by the angle of the sun and the observer. And, you know, most of these contrail UFO type things that are reported, especially in the United Kingdom, these, uh, these magazines, uh, they're generally taken at sunset. Because I guess people are watching the sunset and they see these jets and they're not sure what's going on. So they automatically jump instead of thinking, well, maybe that is a plane. They uh, they automatically think it's uh, it's a UFO on fire, or smoking uh, International Space Station parts, falling to the the planet. Anyway, yeah, forced perspective, and yeah, the UK papers actually pay people money to submit stories with the same videos and photographs. So this is a a very popular topic, and if people take pictures or videos of a contrail in the sunset that looks like a UFO, they're going to get paid. So, of course, they do it and they play it up. They talk about it in social media because they get attention for it and they get, do get money. Not a lot of money. You're not going to make a career out of it. Uh, it might pay your dog food for the month. I don't know. It's not going to make you a whole lot of money, but uh, money is money to some people. And attention is is the next best thing. 
to money for a lot of people. Um, I'm sure many people know what they're looking at, but I hope that they noticed that this was actually a plane. But uh, again, this, this happens quite a bit from these papers. And pretty sure I had a picture of this. I'm not sure. Uh, well, there we do. There it is, Bath UFO. So it happened near the Bath area, United Kingdom. And there we go. Yeah, it looks like a looks like the International Space Station falling from the sky. Yeah, there it does. But uh, yeah, it's just the angle. And I I grew up near a municipal airport uh, on the 30 mile radius of a um, uh, international airport. So. I'm used to seeing jets. I'm used to seeing contrails. I'm used to seeing all this stuff in the sky. It's nothing new to me. So to me, when I see that, I, I can identify it pretty quickly. Maybe people aren't used to seeing that stuff. I don't know. It uh, seems pretty easy to me to identify that kind of stuff. But uh, some people, uh, I guess they've, they've never seen a, a plane before, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But uh, yes, that's what's passing as UFO news in this day and age. But UFO sightings are on the rise. We talked about that. And of course, I uh, kind of was uh, a little uh, shocked earlier this month when MUFON sighting statistics came out. And I was way off. Sighting statistics were way higher than what they've been in the last few years. And we have a, a story here from the United Kingdom talking about this. And the article comes from the Daily Star Another one of those magazines that pretty much prints out anything that anybody can find that's paranormal related because it, it generates clicks. They can sell stuff, uh, advertisements, and all sorts of stuff. And I generally sidestep a lot of that stuff. But, uh, well, the paranormal's been a little thin lately, to put it bluntly, to put it nicely. But uh, anyway, this headline of this uh, article in the Daily Star states that the co uh, coronavirus pandemic has sparked a 30-year high in UFO sightings worldwide. That sounds amazing. And that sounds like that should be on the front page of every newspaper in the world. But, of course, that headline is a little bit misleading. Uh, now, the story points to the fact that since people have been on lockdown, most of them, not all of them, um, that uh, people have had more time for stargazing. I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I really haven't changed my schedule all that much. I, I go to work every day. Uh, my life hasn't changed too much other than having to wear a mask at work and freaking out every, every time somebody coughs. Anyway, I don't think it's quite that simple. I don't think you can just say, well, since people are locked down, they're going to see more UFOs. Uh, even citizen science, that sounds silly. Uh, they do also state that uh, Elon Musk's Starlink project has probably been the culprit to some of these UFO sightings, but in all honesty, I think it's responsible for quite a bit of them. Uh, the article also mentions the surge of UFO sightings out of Belgium, which we talked about previously here on the show. Uh, from the article, it states that Frederick Delaire from the Belgian UFO Reporting Center said Belgium's coronavirus lockdown was likely the cause well, the real cause was the spotting of the Starlink satellites as a vast majority of the sightings reported the same exact thing in relation to the movement of the satellites being deployed. So the same exact angle uh, moving in the same direction. 
was reported in a majority of these sightings. Um, I mean, it, it's partly due to the fact that people are more people are at home, uh, but they're also bored. Many of them are, are scared. So high UFO reports have historically come at times uh, during uneasy times. When people are a little nervous about what's going on in the world around them. Uh, we can also really point the finger at the media, whichever finger you'd like. It's up to you. Uh, for their lack of research behind a lot of these sightings. Now, some of them have done a pretty good job in talking about uh, the Starlink satellites and, and giving a, an obvious explanation to them. Um, but again, you know, to double back real quick, so people have a lot more time in their hands. So that means a lot of historical reports are finally being reported. So some things that happened maybe in 1972 is now finally being reported because John's got time to do it. I don't know who John is, but he's probably one of the guys that uh, reported one of his sightings. So we don't know exactly when all these reports happened. And for them, uh, in this article, they're talking about uh, a, f a flurry of re UFO reports. Well, there's UFO reports every single day. I don't think that represents a 30-year high. It's way too early to tell. Uh, yeah, last month was a pretty big spike in sightings, and we can expect one here in April as well, especially with the weather being better. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think it's going to continue to rise, but will it be as big as it was a few years ago? Uh, so we did see a spike in sightings reported by MUFON uh, way back in 2015. It was probably the highest ever reports statistics for MUFON of the history of that organization. Uh, and a lot of it was dealing with the, uh, during the height of the television show, Hangar One. And again, a lot of those sightings that were reported during that time frame, that few months when that show was uh, at its height, at its peak of popularity, uh, a lot of those were historical. They w didn't happen that year. They happened years prior or months prior. And uh, MUFON just lumps all those together. And that's one of the issues I've talked about here when I talk about UFO sighting statistics. Is that you, they don't really break it down to when they actually were reported. They just lump them all into that same month. So you don't really know. And uh, that's one of the drawbacks to their sighting statistics. They've, they've talked about for years, probably decades now, about updating their their. Uh, there's their sighting support uh, or sighting statistics uh, website. Their um, I forget what it's called. Their CMOS. Their uh, well, they're reporting thing, so the other investigators can go on there and look at it. But uh, they've been talking about updating that database so it would uh, break it down like that. And I don't know why they've never gotten around to it. Uh, they, I know expense was a, a big deal, but. I don't know. You think there's a lot of people on computers that work in, within MUFON that could figure that out. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled to see if, in fact, UFO sightings are continuing to uh, skyrocket. But I think it's kind of early, a little too early to, to call that. And I know Belgium had that spike, but we, again, we talked about that. More than, more than half, more than three-quarters of those were Starlink sightings. And uh, the bump in MUFON, we don't really know exactly what caused that. But, uh, again, I think it's just because a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands. And speaking of time on your hands, 
kind of I, I forgot to cover this last week. I actually didn't watch this show, but anybody in the chat room, if any of you guys watched the uh, show on Skinwalker Ranch at all, had a chance to watch it. I, I finally caught up. I'm glad that I, I took a little time and uh, waited till the second episode came out before I started watching it. Uh, so I could see the two because I would have been really, really angry to see the end of episode one and have to wait a week to see what was in that case. Uh, I would have been livid. I would have been like, are you serious? Uh, I was a little upset about it. I don't want to give too much away. If you haven't seen the show, uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Um, it's um, So I was never really a big fan of the the other one. The Oak Island, the Curse of Oak Island, uh, the same production company uh, does this show with uh, Skinwalker Ranch as, as does Curse of Oak Island. And I've heard a lot of bad things about Oak, the Oak Island show because of uh, the the plot drags and, and there's just no evidence of anything. And it just everything goes in circles. And uh, that's what I'm kind of hearing about this. And it's kind of how I feel about the Skinwalker Ranch show. There's, it's really, really cool to finally see the ranch and I'm now I'm kind of like, well, what's the big deal? Uh, and they're making a lot of big things out of nothing. It's really annoying me. And uh, I'm yelling at the computer as I'm watching the show, like it's easy to figure this out. All you have to do is this and that. They're trying to be scientific, but they're they're just really being silly. And uh, I don't know what this deal is about not being able to dig. Like it's crazy, and it's just some of the stuff. It's just. Really, really annoying, but I'm, I'm going to try to stick in with it. Uh, I've done a lot of research on cattle mutilations over the years, so I'm really interested to see how they're going to present that. Uh, most most cattle mutilations are not really mutilations at all. It's just natural causes. Uh, it's just people have never really seen dead cows before and see how nature takes these things over. It's not It's not lasers, it's not UFOs. A lot of times it's just natural causes. So I'm kind of curious as to see how they're going to handle these these cattle mutilation things. But uh, I, I really don't see much being uh, pushed out as far as actual tangible things that we can say, wow, that's that's great. It's more of less like I have a headache. I don't feel good. I feel nauseous. My knees are weak. Uh, kind of like a ghost show. Just with, with other things. But um, I don't know. It's It's TV. It's meant to be uh, entertainment. I don't know how real this stuff is, and it's it's funny. You know, Bigelow tried to make a big deal about this. I uh, couldn't make, he couldn't figure out how to make money from it, so he got rid of it. And now the new owner is making money from it. So we'll see how long this goes. Uh, see how long this lasts. And um, I, I just think it's it was an investment, and they figured out that it's not making any money, and they they've got to figure something out. So they get some. Get some uh, get some money back and uh, try to get in the black with this property. But uh, I don't know. We'll keep my eyes peeled. I'll, I'll try to watch it when I can. Uh, but in the interim, hope to be back next week. I'm going to be moving pretty soon, so I don't know how all that's going to work out. But uh, I more than likely be back next week. I'm not really too worried about it. Uh, but for now, got a lot of other things to worry about, I guess. Keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. Don't let your brains fall out, though. And above all else, 
like Journey says, don't stop, believe in. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.